Welcome to another episode of Open Dialogue, the podcast for collaborative SEOs and digital marketers. In this episode, I spoke with Chris Green, who is the head of search at an agency called Strategic, based over here in the UK. Over the course of our conversation, we spoke about what Chris has learned from migrating literally hundreds of sites. We learned why SEOs tend not to be the most popular people on projects and how you can go about changing this perception. And we also found out about how we can avoid the trap of unconscious incompetence. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to share it and shout about it on social using the hashtag open underscore dialogue. And you can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Marsden. If you want to find a written recap of this podcast, you can go to deepcrawl.com forward slash podcast to find that. And you can also sign up to our mailing list and be notified when we release new episodes each and every other week. Before we get started, I would like to let you know that this podcast has been made possible by my employers, Deepcrawl. If you're interested in improving the technical health and organic performance of the websites that you manage using an enterprise-level web crawler, then head on over to deepcrawl.com and have a look at how we can help. We've even got a two-week trial for you. So that's enough for the intro, though. Let's dive into another episode of Open Dialogue with Chris Green. Hello, and welcome to the show, Chris. How are you, Chris? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thank, thank you for joining me today um, on this this sunny, sunny day. In um, we're we're in Hackney here, and um, yeah, yeah it's, it's a, a rare sunny day in. Uh, mid-September so it's really nice how how are things out um are you based out in Ipswich which yeah is like so I'm, I'm in the Suffolk countryside at the moment we're just oh. outside of Ipswich and um I wish I could say it was sunny Hackney um <laughs> I don't say that but uh no no, no it's a bit of a drab and overcast day here but um but otherwise no pretty good actually we're um kind of everyone's busy head down into things so um yeah nice. can't complain it's um you know thanks for inviting me on I'm sort of uh, looking forward to it that's okay um what is it like with being out there in nature, what what's it like to see see trees? I'm I'm, I'm an urban city dweller, so yeah. I don't I don't get to see such things very often. Tell, uh, tell me what it's like. Trees are lovely. Um, <laughs> the uh, the one thing you kind of trade for that. I don't know. You probably don't know if you suffer from hay fever or not living in the city, but um, I've kind yeah. of grown up in the sort of countryside, but also for at least sort of four months of summer, suffer with hay fever. So there's a bit of a balance, but. Nate, I trade um, I trade uh, cars and traffic in the um, city for nature most days. Um, as long as I can get a good three um, G or four G connection, I'm relatively happy. So, <laughs> brilliant. I think this is the most British start to a conversation that I've ever had. Talking about <laughs> weather in the countryside. Like, <laughs> well, so... <laughs> if, if I start telling you about the um, you know the, the most hazardous thing I tend to see on my commute in is um, tractors on the road. That kind oh, of gives you an idea how nightmare well... aren't they. <laughs> <laughs> you probably don't see that too much in London. <laughs> no, no, you don't you don't see too many tractors actually. The odd like it's it's usually it's usually um bunches of guys and girls on hen and stag dues. They're they're the biggest hazard here, so that's what yeah, you've got move, to watch out for. They probably move as slowly as tractors, but they're probably <laughs> less useful. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so um you are the head of search at Strategic, so um, yeah, it's a great pleasure to, to have you on, and um, I'm really excited to kind of get an idea of your experiences there. Um, 
I, in doing my research, I saw that you recently spoke at um, a meetup called Search Norwich, and you were talking there about um, the learnings that um, you'd gotten from doing over 120 migrations, I, I believe it was. It's, it's probably even more now, right? Um, um, yeah, that's a, a kind of a conservative number, just because I was told that any larger it felt implausible. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think over the 10 or so years that I've been doing this, um, I've worked on um lots of migrations from you know new site launches um one platform moving to the other even down to you know http to https and similar so just kind of launching and migrating websites has always been a fairly large part of my job um and yeah there's a there's a thing or two that i can share on that is uh you've kind of i've seen a few things enough to um put you off your dinner um <laughs> and unfortunately enough nothing that went well so it's a uh, yeah, you see a lot, though. You get to work with lots of third parties, which is uh, always interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess it would be good to maybe start with getting an understanding of what your kind of team looks at, like, like at Strategic and um, who you're kind of working with when um, you start these, these migrations. Cool. So at Strategic, I'm actually lucky, well, really lucky, in that the um, uh, clients that we work on primarily you know on our seo side of things i think we build or have development retainers with between 80 to 90 percent of them so um you know this whole proverbial kind of nightmare scenario where none of your implement or none of your recommendations ever make it to the site we don't really suffer from because usually i work in the same room as the developer that would be doing it so that's quite an enviable position um (laughs) Not unfortunately, not what a lot of people could say. It's, I mean, it's not always been the case with me as well. Um, my previous agency was more of a sort of specialist search agency, so less directly involved with development. So working with external agencies was more common. But um, I still work. I still work with clients who have their own developers or you know their own branding agencies and bits and pieces like that. But mm-hmm. I mean, our kind of layout, um, the team is sort of well. It, it, we we're kind of going for this full service, the integrated marketing kind of approach. So um, we have a team of developers, a team of designers, and then sort of we've got our sort of marketing team, which crosses the spectrum. But we've got about three or four people specifically in organic search, and then we have two others in the paid search space. So we've got a fairly strong um, search marketing team um, and a strong development team. The vast majority, of which I've kind of battered into sort of SEO site standards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what we develop and launch is relatively sound and built around that. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, again, you know, we we talk about that dreaded um, scenario where your recommendations aren't ever getting put into place. We're, we're quite used to working with that as well. So, you know, finding the the less optimal but often easier to implement solutions is something that we're more than. Um, Sort of familiar with because sadly it happens too often right and um, um so when you're working with uh working say uh, a mi- like a migration you're starting the planning of a migration um what do the the kind of conversations look like with with the other teams how um yeah could you maybe talk us through the the process of what that looks like um, so what, within, within strategic or just broadly speaking, I mean, we, um, the, yeah, within strategic, yeah, it'd be good to get an idea of your yeah. experiences. So primarily we kind of, we, we kick, you kick off a project and, and I've, the way that we always try and do certainly from a search perspective is, um, 
marketing or search has involvement right at the project kickoff and, and everyone does in that team so we've got representation from development from design um, and marketing and there's there's a kind of a key focus on what what do we need to achieve so why are we why are we doing what we're doing um, you know, what, uh, uh, which broadly speaking is often variations of more traffic more leads more business etc but very often the, the actual focus and and how we achieve that might differ um, we kind of get all of the buy-in up front. We, we run through sort of discovery phases, which have kind of multiple approaches. So looking at the kind of target market, looking at the customers, looking at the competition, keywords, benchmark current performance, um, not just organic search, but that's a primary area. Uh, look at tracking, where we are on that. And we from that, we just set a, a kind of a, a journey throughout the production process, basically, which, you know, takes those findings and, you know, um, basically gives our kind of key personas who's going to be using the website. And then obviously from an SEO perspective, what keywords do we need to target? How does that need to impact the, the site? And then um, goes into development for implementation, which is the kind of the tough part, sort of realizing the dream as it were. Um, and throughout that development or design development process, we kind of have marketing checkpoints. So we review when you know wireframes are complete, when visuals are complete, and then it, when it goes up on staging, um, we start running kind of crawl simulations and reviewing um, the staging site from about sort of seventy to eighty percent completion, depending on the size of the build. Um, which is then when we map the three hundred one redirects and then just get our pre-launch checks in order. You know, we make sure that these sites are as tight as they can be before they launch. Um, then it's presented to the client and then, you know, there are usually kind of an iterative phase of changes and then we launch it. Um, then post-launch, which is mm -hmm. when all the fun stuff really happens in a weird sort of way. It's when we kind of understand how Google and the market are kind of perceiving the new website. We make sure that the standards are still tight and then we plot out the onward marketing. So, you know, the, a new website is only but a small part in the process. Um, from a migration perspective, just ensure that you know, it depends on what the goals are. But broadly speaking, the goal of every site, uh, site migration or launch is we don't go and take any steps backwards. We want to make sure it's an onward process. But um, apart from that, the, the, the kind of the, the wish list, what keywords do you want to target will all kind of come from there, really. Um, I did actually see the, um, part of your talk. It, I think it, you said something along the lines of like, if, if you're being told that um, organic traffic's going to drop by about 15%, then yeah, that's, um, you're basically doing a bad job and you've, yeah, um, you've not got a great set of experiences to draw, to draw from. Yeah, yeah, broadly speaking, I think we, we hear it a lot and um, I've worked with people, um, I've worked with third party agencies, I've also encountered other businesses on the other side of it where part of the expectation the setting process at the start is almost this acceptance that you could expect a 10 to 15% drop in traffic just because it's almost like a, a migration cost. Um, I, the, from my perspective, having done it as many times as I have done, um, that doesn't have to be the case. Um, it depends what the goal is, though. Is, is um, you know, I've worked with um, websites and brands who've you know had a, you know, three thousand plus page websites with quite kind of rich content areas. And part of the creative agency's remit has been to um, sort of streamline the website. Um, now, streamline can mean one of two things. But as an SEO, when I hear the word streamline, I usually get a bit worried um, because I think the creative agency in that particular example wanted to take it from a three thousand page site to a thirty page site. Um, at which point, um, 
we kind of waved a red flag and said, no, you're going to lose, you know, quite a significant portion of traffic. So if the remit or if the expectation of the client is, you know, we'll launch this new website and not only will our rankings and traffic stay where they are, they'll grow, then that has to, that, that kind of expectation needs to, you know, um, chart the direction of the um, site build relaunch process. Um, you know, the, I think that the presentation that I gave um, in Norwich, I think one of the other things we said is it's okay to lose traffic if everyone's aware of where you're losing traffic and as a business, you don't want that. Yeah. Or it's not that kind of critical. And, and um, I find that stakeholders in projects can struggle with that. Very often the higher up the hierarchy you go, um, the more sometimes people are unwilling to accept a loss in traffic because traffic is always a good thing, right? Um, but, you know, it's fine if, if it's a market that's not useful to you or if it's some, some products or some services that you want to jettison, um, then you can do that if you do it right as long as everybody's aware. So, um, yeah, there's, there's loads of um, kind of examples on that. But the, the vast majority of site migrations, if you're kind of sympathetic and you benchmark really well what works at the point, you know, when you start the project, mm-hmm. you kind of build the site map with that in mind um the only i guess the only point of warning there is if you know if you're um, you're in that sort of unenviable position of having to launch a new website when the original website is actually doing very well anyway um you know what they say when you're at the top there's only one way you can go um and they are some of the, the worst or most tense migrations i've ever done because you know you're launching a brand new website or a site that has no visibility yeah, um, and only got one way that you could go is you could get better but um, when you've got a site that's already at the top of its vertical, um, that's a very tense experience. And in those scenarios, you, you can sometimes limit the ambition of the new site by being very kind of conservative or wanting to protect rankings. But um, uh, the, the how tricky sometimes this can be means that you're going to find that most decent SEOs are, are on the side of caution more often than not and tend to start sentences and meetings with, it depends. Um, <laughs> Well, I always try not to, but when you get asked a direct question by um, a CEO of a company, it's like, I need to answer this question without it depends, but that's easier said than done. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, when you're kind of communicating to a client saying that um, you might be losing this traffic, but it's not traffic you necessarily want, are they generally quite accepting of that? Or how, how do you go about framing that? Yeah, generally, yeah, I think we... Those kind of decisions and conversations are always best sort of backed up by the data where where possible anyway. Um, and you can, again, assuming that you've got analytics already set up and you've got a decent amount of historical data, um, you can usually show them. Um, or you can you can kind of give an idea or a pro- you know, projection based on their current levels of traffic, where the business is going, what the current conversion rate is. And you can... The ones that you can kind of put a monetary value to are often um, the ones that are easiest to fight because, um, you know, not only can you give them an idea of what the potential cost to, you know, or the cost of being lost is, but what the cost to retain that is. And then it just becomes a commercial conversation. And the vast majority of clients I work with, that when you can get it into those kind of commercial terms, it makes sense. It's almost, it's just like any other decision making. Mm-hmm. Um where it is a real challenge, though, is when you've got lots of stakeholders or the analytics or the, just the, any kind of tracking data that you've got is less reliable. Um, you, you kind of have to try and sell them more on your in, intuition and experience rather than evidence, as it were, which 
can always be problematic. Um, you know, the, especially when you've got five, six, seven plus stakeholders in a process, you'll always find someone in there that will pick issue with it. And then it's, um, comes down to the, the sort of the hippo, the highest paid person's opinion and how you can kind of convince that or that person. So, but broadly speaking, yeah, if we, if we do it in a mature way and you set the expectations up front, it goes well. Um, the worst conversations to have are the ones where, you know, in a project, any potential drops haven't been outlined at that point um, because then you've got nothing to fall back on. And, and actually, as a, as a practitioner, that's your fault. Um, one, of the, one of the examples I've got where, you know, it happened within best intention, actually, is um, we had a particular client who we tried to retain their sitemap as per the old one, but they never liked a certain traffic driving area. And they said, well, if, can we drop this section from the website when we launch the new one? Um, to which my response was, we can do, but if we don't have that content within the sitemap or, or we're reducing it, we have to offset that with greater levels of you know, link building, marketing efforts, PR and stuff post-launch, which they bought into. Um, but two or three months after launch, they pulled the marketing budget um, for various reasons, which meant that those rankings dropped and never came back. Um, so it's kind of a, that's always frustrating to see. Um, now, obviously, we made that clear that that would happen up front, which meant that, you know, the client wasn't annoyed with us at all. And they were actually quite accepting of it. But, yeah, you, you've got to tee them up um, before the event. Otherwise, you've got a mess on your hands. <laughs> um, and I'd just like to touch on the your relationship with um, developers at Strategic and, like, how... <laughs> Um, how you work with them, like what extent do they understand SEO? Do you, is there like a kind of education process where um, you're you're kind of keep, keeping them updated with um, uh, what matters in search, or are you just kind of con constantly sort of beating them over the head with um, <laughs> SEO considerations and things that they don't really want to do? Yeah. So the so the I, I mean the. A lot of the developers I've worked with here, I've worked with for years. So we've got quite um, a healthy um, understanding of what each other does and the pressures of you know each of our jobs. Because ultimately, a developer, their KPIs or targets or what they're judged against aren't always the same as an SEO or a digital marketer. And I would argue that they shouldn't always be. Um, mm. I've heard the argument that well, if a developer is doing their job properly, SEO will work, um, which in some ways could be true or um, would be nice if that was always the case, but uh, is seldom is. You know, the, I often say that the vast majority of things that a developer needs to work on um, in the, the final stages of a project um, aren't the SEO snags quite often, um, and that that causes a bit of tension. I mean, the way that we tend to do it though is we have a, a fairly robust list of pre-launch checks and standards. Um, which someone who isn't a developer checks, you know, we, obviously we encourage our development team to be as good as they can do, but I'm a firm believer if you don't prove your own work, um, and that's not just the same for kind of content or reports, um, it works with web too. Um, but yeah, we, we you know, the, we've had conversations, internal training sessions about, you know, how to use headings, you know, breadcrumb does need to be there, page titles, uh, canonicals, pagination, or not so much, but you know all of these all these kind of technical standards we have as an agreed kind of list. So the as an absolute base level, um, the team kind of know it, um, and where they either don't know or there might be a knowledge gap, we put in road uh, we put in checkpoints to identify it because you know with the best intentions, there's a lot to remember. So 
you do need someone just going back and checking it. Um, but what the the, <clears throat> the key thing, and it's, it's a message that I constantly try and drum into people, and it's, I, I sort of say it with a tongue-in-cheek, you know, make friends with developers. And I don't just mean that in a kind of a cynical way of trying to game them, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, get them bought into why you're doing what you're doing, what the goals are. And more importantly, if you do need to feedback on any elements of the work, which isn't ideal, um, you do it in a way that's kind of respectful of them and what they're working on and you're just knowledgeable of what they're trying to do. Um, I, I kind of uh, often kind of quote the Dalai Lama. Um, <laughs> often, um, not regularly. He's got a lot to say about SEA. <laughs> he did. I mean, he did. He was head of his time. Um, no, but it was, it was um, essentially um, you got to. Cre- I'm paraphrasing now, um, but you, you got to create the positive vision um, to get the best um, kind of reaction from it. You know, share everyone your vision that you're trying to do, and the vast majority of people will get it. I mean, it is a two-way street. You know, you if you're kind of telling the developers that this is what you know, I'm really worried about these factors. Therefore, you need to be. But likewise, you kind of need to expect to you know, be respectful of limitations within the site, what is physically possible, not giving them convoluted recommendations that actually aren't going to make a difference. Um, you know, in the um, 11th hour of a project saying this site cannot possibly launch because this H3 is in the wrong place or this heading shouldn't be a heading, it should just be, you know, styled up. That's not a site-breaking um, issue that's going to stop a launch. Um, and again, if you're being respectful to the developers, don't flag stuff as a problem unless it is actually a problem, um, because otherwise you can railroad an entire development project in pointing fingers at the eleventh hour. Um, when, you, especially when you're working with third parties, is, is, you yeah, never want to get into that scenario if you can help. It. Oh no, it's not a good look. <laughs> so it, it sounds like you've got quite a harmonious relationship with development resource in-house. Is in-house, are, the, yeah. are the more difficult? Um, conversations that you have with clients then does that does that cause um, is there anything you can tell us about that yeah so the i mean the a lot of the websites that we kind of build or that i'm involved with directly are sort of wordpress or magento so they're mm-hmm. relatively known quantities you know they're not massive bespoke systems or they're not enterprise systems or the things that usually create the vast amount of issues so Again, we're kind of lucky that, you know, if you've got a variant of a blog or a variant of an e-commerce site, we, we're pretty used to those. So, again, it's that whole setting client expectations early. The, the, the challenging part most often, um, certainly working with kind of clients, is usually sort of scope creep or, you know, breakdown in communication or, you know, if one side believes that expectations are set but the other side isn't aligned with that. And I'm... I'm I'm, I'm being very diplomatic because it's, it's again, it, it can go in either direction. There is, you know, you can get the quote kind of client from hell, but they don't appear out of nowhere. And, you know, I'm a, again, I'm a firm believer. I've done this for long enough that, you know, you can turn almost any client into an ally um, and work with them. And as an agency, you should do. Um, but if in the early stages of a project you commit to a load of stuff that you can't do or you don't make it clear what is or isn't possible, then you're, you're due to have a, an issue or a set to at the end of the day anyway. Um, but one of the biggest present- preventable problems that we often get is um, if you are specking out a project and you're kind of, you know, you're talking about the commercials at the start, what isn't, isn't in scope, um, if there's any ambiguity about content, about migrating content or, more importantly, writing of new content, um, that's where you're going to have issues later on. And usually it's that um, conversation 
60 to 70% into a project where one party turns to the other and saying, I thought you were writing the content. <laughs> um, and that's, and again, that recovering from that, getting that back is quite tricky. Um, we, we've, you know, we have clients who say we're more than happy to write the content and we, we support that and we do whatever we can. But the most successful projects that launch on time, on budget, are the ones where we write the content mm-hmm. with kind of a close relationship with the client. Um, because if I'm going to be really sweeping and, and maybe overly bold, you know, the, from the SEO on-site equation, if you've got a good quality website that Google can crawl easily, the only thing that's going to sabotage you is your lack of content. Um, and what we don't let happen is sitemaps be sabotaged by lack of content. Um, and, you know, that again, that's, that's always a tricky conversation to have. Um, it's harder to have with third parties when or if, if the third party is the one producing the content or even you're working with a design agency who have kind of created the sitemap and you're allowed to work within its confines, that's when you do have to have the difficult conversation of saying, look, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Client, this website is not going to work for these reasons because you haven't had the foresight in the early stages. Um, yeah, and that, that can make you unpopular as an SEO. Right. That, that was actually uh, another point that I really liked um, looking through your, your slides was um, you said that SEOs aren't popular on projects. And I can I can think of a few reasons why that might be, but um, I'd be keen for you to explain a bit about what you mean there. Um, I think the biggest way that an SEO can make themselves unpopular, and in fairness, you know, any anybody, any, any job title has this capacity, but it's the... Because typically SEOs get involved too late in the process, um, they'll come in, you know, at the eleventh hour um, with the remit of "we're about to launch this website, we can't lose rankings." Um, now, at that stage in the project, it's probably too late anyway. However, the SEO will will go in, will review uh, what's gone on before, and then will deliver their summary. Um, and the worst way that you can deliver that is in a slightly bitter for a uh, bitter or acrid kind of fashion just saying you know this is this is poor this isn't going to work this is terrible this is shoddy there are loads of ways that you can kind of do it but you can you can make yourself very unpopular that way um which makes sense right you know if, you, if you're kind of um effectively slagging off someone else's work that's never going to be um but actually even even on the less extreme examples um sweating the small stuff so because SEO is quite um, an unknown quantity in so many ways, and there's a lot of stuff we don't we don't know with a hundred percent knowledge or accuracy. Um, sometimes, more often than not, in fact, you know, if, if an SEO is charged with you know the, the remit that no traffic can be lost, they'll go ultra conservative on all of the recommendations. So, you know, um, down to uh, you know social media icons are missing alt text or. Um, it could even be that the robots text file doesn't have the sitemap declaration of bits like that. Now, these are all things that in an ideal world should be in place, but it dep- you know, you've got to pick and choose your battles in, in the sense of you know, there's, there's your advisories. You know, actually, in a lot of the tools in the market do this. You know, these are your warning messages. These are things that are not optimal, mm-hmm. but then you also need to make it really, really clear. These are the kind of high priority or critical ones because, again, um, if you want to make yourself unpopular, um, you, it's going to be a senior developer is um, making some very small fixes that they're just not convinced are going to work. Mm-hmm. Because you know, the other fact is you can review many websites ranking incredibly well within the niche. Technically, they're far from perfect. So if you're the one at the 11th hour saying, hold the launch, this website's going to tank because these really inconsequential errors are present, mm-hmm. that's a very big key to um, making themselves unpopular. So 
It's a, it's a difficult one, though, because, you know, equally involving, um, uh, you know, a user experience specialist in a project right at the end is far too late. And I would argue that involving an SEO at that point is too late. So um, we're very good at creating these, <laughs> these um, scenarios where an SEO has to upset people in some way, shape or form, because yeah, otherwise it will go wrong. Um, so, yeah, but there are many ways of doing it. I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a, a bit of a big hippie in that sense that I would much rather um, you kind of all come to a same consensus and ag- all agree rather than just stamping your feet until you get your own way. Yeah. Um, I've completely forgot my question now. I had, <laughs> had a really good one lined up. Um, oh, are we getting a bit of feedback at the moment? Oh, are we? Cool. Me. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, oh, what was it? No, it's gone. Um, I think we'll move on now. Um, have you got any examples of when it's gone really badly um, working with clients? So maybe they haven't taken on recommendations that you've given them. Um, they've ignored something. Are there, are there any like complete disaster stories that you've encountered during these um, these many yes. migrations. <laughs> yes, although the, thankfully some of the, the biggest issues that I've kind of encountered here are, are long in the past, um, which is good. Obviously, it's good for me to say that. Um, I think one of the worst actually um, being uh, with e-commerce platforms, Magento in particular, um, and filtered navigation, um, you know, filtering the category grid or refining the category grid based on you know, product type, size, color, price, etc. Um, we had... Um, a developer they were launching a new platform they decided they want a slightly more sort of quote user-friendly um way of uh, implementing this they picked a method that was um, ajax based um but this was oh crikey four or five years ago actually so obviously how you would handle that then is slightly different to now anyway but it, to cut a long story short they hadn't listened to the recommendations where basically was, you know you were about this is going to be handled wrong um, do not deploy um, was the, with the short answer. It, it was it was one of those um, kind of elements. You know, they'd, they'd put it on staging. They'd installed a new extension. They'd activated it. The client said they were happy. Then they went, "Oh, actually, you better check with our SEO agency." Which was, you know, I was one of them at the time. Um, ignored the recommendations. Deployed it without telling us. I mean, I still thought was blissfully unaware that they were ignoring me. Um, and it was only a week or so later when we noticed this sort of fairly dramatic spike in um, pages being crawled and indexed that we saw that Google was, well, I mean, I think in the end of it, a, a site that had about three and a half thousand products, um, it was about um, a quarter of a million pages um, within a few weeks uh, within the index, and it just continued to grow. Um, and the nice. unfortunately, when they listened to us was when um, rankings then tanked, um, which they did. Um, and that's when the extension was disabled and we um, created a, a better method to move forward. But that took months and months to clear up. Um, and sadly, you know, in the real disaster, we um, as an SEO agency were taken off the project um, a few months afterwards because a new e-commerce manager came in. Um, and it was only... A, couple of weeks later did the ranking start to recover from the original original issue so that was kind of a lose-lose situation on everyone's part really you know the, the client lost the the revenue and the sales for the time that the the issue had happened and we lost the client because of it so right. you know looking back certainly at me and how i was then 
you know, is there a way of making that point a bit clearer? Is there any way of illustrating the case better? Um, I don't know, but you have to kind of ask yourself those questions after the event mm-hmm. rather than necessarily assume that it was uh, all someone else's fault. But um, yeah, I, I haven't seen many go much worse than that. You, I mean, you always get the, um, oh, by the way, we've launched the website. Um, could you do the 301s now? Um, <laughs> that's a classic, uh, <laughs> which happens quite often. And the others, oh, we launched our new website. Why have our rankings dropped? It's, oh, you didn't unblock it with robots or one of, <laughs> or, or worse, you've left the staging password in place. Um, we, we see those from time to time. And again, we have a, our internal process here. We have three different people do that same check on every launch. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose yeah, that's quite could. good for you, though, because you can be like some sort of SEO magician and suddenly <laughs> fix it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I've done. I see more of those um, as kind of sales or pre-sales. Um, so, client gets in touch saying, you know, I call it the help me Obi One moment. You know, it's that. <laughs> um, and yeah, usually it is, and you kind of look um, pretty epic by deleting one character from the robots text file, and then the site comes back. Um, but broadly speaking, we don't lord it up as, you know, as you said, that wizardry kind of point. We're usually fairly open and honest to say this is just what duty of care looks like. Um, mm-hmm. But it is cool. I mean, I enjoy those projects where you can make a huge amount of impact with relatively low uh, effort. But um, sadly, when you build the websites correctly, that's um, not the case. Um, I think one of the other things I kind of tell a lot of people um, in this process is just a really technically sound website is just not enough to rank alone. Um, you know, if, uh, say, you've got a four-year-old website, everyone's decided the platform's aging and it needs updating, there's, there's almost an inherent assumption that building a new version of it will make it rank better. Um, mm-hmm. Google doesn't really care. If users are still getting what they want out of it, if the content still is, is still good for... Um, the key terms that it's ranking for, you know, a handful of technical problems, even low to medium level, aren't going to hold it back massively. So, um, and it's something that we say, you know, our standard of launching a website is there are there will be no errors on this site mm-hmm. um, because why should there be? You know, it's brand new. It's like buying a brand new car. You don't accept, you know, scratches, dents, dings, etc. Um, but that by itself isn't enough. Um, and very often, like you have to stress to clients or other third-party um, agencies is just um, have you actually solved the problem while you weren't ranking in the first place um, which could be could be content could be you don't have the right key terms could be the site structure is horrible um, or many different elements so fixing technical problems only makes you rank if the technical problems were stopping you from doing so mm-hmm. which on smaller websites is less often the case yeah um, I'd just like to touch back on something you were talking about um, in terms of knowing when to um, prioritise SEO issues and when to be a spanner in the works. Um, what Would you say it's just mainly experience in terms of knowing um, what what needs to kind of be put forward and when when you need to to get involved and um prioritize um, a particular issue that you found and when to let it go is it um it sounds like there's more than just knowing best practice and there's that kind of like savviness from that you can draw on from um years of experience and working on similar projects is that is that something that sort of rings true yeah so uh it's a tricky one because you know the there is a reasonably well-documented kind of best practice in the space and, and, you know, 
very often you can say when something is either a hundred percent right or not. Um, it's that grey area that does, does definitely cause the issue. I think on a on a site launch or a migration, um, you look at what's there currently. So what what is our benchmark, and are we any better or worse than that? So from a content perspective, and there is a level of, of subjectivity and experience and expertise here, but just look at the content. Is that content any more or less optimal for the key terms that you're targeting? Mm-hmm. Um, it's fair to say if you're cutting you know, 75 or 50 to 75% of content, you're risking it. Now, mm-hmm. you don't know for certain that that will um, cause direct issue. Um, most of the time, in my experience, it does. Um, but I mean, the, the, the whole kind of ranking mix is, is just a little too opaque for us to really understand that. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're kind of miles ahead anyway, and you've got a really strong link profile, you could probably get away from it. But my my question in that instance is, do we need to risk it? Um, so, yeah, if you've got a benchmark, how far you know are you from that benchmark? You know, are, are you better than or worse than? I think that's a good point to steer by because that means that your point of reference is project-based because actually ultimately a lot of recommendations and the severity or importance of certain things is, is dependent on that scenario. Uh, hence the phrase, it depends, obviously. <laughs> um, but a, a lot of the time it is, it is kind of experience. And, you know, when you start talking about, you know, um, the quality of code, um, heading structures, um, crawl budget, and all of these other kind of things is, you know, you, we, we see Google deal with really bad websites and they rank quite well more often than not. So it's one of those ones where it'd be this. So say, for example, someone's heading structure was broken or there were five or six H1s on the page or something. The feedback to that ultimately would, would be this is not optimal. Optimal looks like this example. Why can we not get it to here? If there's a legitimate reason, it's then a case of, well, fundamentally, one heading on that page, one H1 on that page, please. It doesn't matter that HTML5 will accept that. It's like, you know, this this is, we know that, you know, multiple H1s dilutes kind of the value of them. So, again, why why risk it? Now, obviously, there are times sometimes where no matter how compelling your argument there is, it isn't often enough, in which case it's, a, it's more turns to expectation management. It turns to... Um, Okay, well, this isn't advisable. You know, effectively, we've warned you. However, you know, if we do notice a problem, we may need to roll back or make these changes post-launch. Um, now, that that scenario is is really tricky because, obviously, the more things you change, the more variables you introduce. Uh, if rankings do drop, um, finding what the cause for that is is incredibly tough. And very often, I've found that you end up fixing all of those things and more in a kind of a mad dash to try and recover any lost ground so um but a good a good a good benchmark is you know where are where is the current site are you any better or worse than if you're losing content you're most probably going in the wrong direction if the sitemap is becoming too complex or you're pushing key content too far away from the home page that broadly speaking does have a problem then if you start going down you know obviously page speed's massively important making the website slower is often a problem. It doesn't take a genius to work that out. And then the rest, the kind of the page level sort of code compliancy um, elements, um, you know, they're, they're the kind of bits that I would always give ground on if needed. Um, but, you know, it, the, I think the key point is if you want to really, 
you know, be ultra careful. It's just kind of prepare yourself with a with a list of examples of things going wrong. Um, and you know, you turn to JavaScript and the use of JavaScript in kind of key navigation or uh, well, any kind of key reliance on um, client side um, kind of rendering or processing is not a good variable to put in there. So, and, and examples of that going wrong are, are quite frequent. So, there's just there's um. You can often put the fear of God into stakeholders um, with with well documented examples. Just only do it when you really need to, because yep. again, you get into a, a, a cry wolf scenario, and then yep. they stop listening to you altogether. Right, um, yeah. which isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can see you'd want to avoid that. Um, I'd like to just pick up on something you mentioned earlier around. Um, you said that projects seem to go better when uh, you deal with the the content side of things as well. Um, yeah. I just wondered what your kind of content team looks like and how you kind of get um, them interested in kind of SEO considerations when they're writing new content or um, mm. updating existing content. So uh, there's kind of a few areas there. I think the, the well, our kind of content team here is we have um, sort of a key content manager and, and sort of a couple of key sort of content slash SEO bods. Uh, in the office, and then we work with um, trusted content writers in in different niches and industries. Um, because very often you want someone who work who knows an area, um, just so that you know that the content is on point, is relevant. You know, the, the language and the feel of it sort of fits the industry. But mm-hmm. you know, we we tend to employ our content team with a desire of them having at least a knowledge or an appreciation of SEO. Mm-hmm. Um, I would so, still sorry. Very, does that does that all the content writers do they kind of um, sit under the your kind of remit of, of search within the company? No, not specifically. No, okay. um, no they they kind of sit alongside. Um, I I want we kind of try and position it so they have an appreciation of it. Mm-hmm. But what we don't want is quote SEO content writers <laughs> because no. that's like literally the worst content ever. Um, so very often we will say in the I and mean, the the I tell you what the biggest ingredient for success in, in good content that helps SEO is is just the strong brief and and by which I don't even mean you know a really kind of exhaustive list of target key terms. Um, you want the content writer to know what the, um, uh, the area that they're appealing for. Maybe a couple of you know if there are some crucial key terms that you do need mentioned, you want to tell them what those are. But the brief and the the framework or the structure of the piece um, needs to be strong enough that they can write about it, and they'll hit they'll hit those um, the right boxes as they go. Um, sometimes that you know for for longer content, for long tail content, or if you're you know targeting um, answer boxes or rich snippets or whatnot, um, very often you would suggest a series of questions or say we have noticed this question gets asked a lot. Please answer that question. Um, but the last thing you ever want to do is to say to a content writer, particularly one that you don't work with in the same room sometimes, is please make sure you use all of these key terms we want to target <laughs> them. They just become this kind of robotic, just horrid kind of mangle yeah, of... Something that, and, that wouldn't have ranked since, I don't know, 15 odd years ago. Yeah. And, and it's, you know what, you, I sometimes we sometimes see it working, but... I kind of remind kind of clients, content teams, various people is, is 
actually, when, when you're actually looking for the target ketones, what ranks currently you need to be better than that? So if you are in a position where your niche is terrible and it's still using tactic circa five to ten years ago, mm-hmm. then actually sometimes keyword stuffing, um, manipulative internal linking and various other things can still work and in some cases are required to work. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that, in fairness, within the last year or so, that, that's becoming less of a thing. But who's best in class? You know, when, when we, especially when we're looking at long tail content or this, this guide needs to make us the market leader in, in this key term or this surface, you know, this is our ultimate top funnel content. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to look at what's the best example as it is and you've got to work out if you can beat it. It's, we have had examples recently where we've said just we at this moment in time don't believe we can easily surpass the content that's currently there. Mm-hmm. Do we need to change the slant or do we need to come back once we've produced something to talk about or something of merit and um that i mean that depends on the budget and how badly you want to rank for a certain term but um there is a large point of this of you know uh, it, I, I hate this term because it can be used a bit flippantly but you know, do good content um that isn't the be all and end all but it is such a significant part of it um and so it should be you know call me kind of naive or overly white hat or whatever you want to call it but I'd much rather rank with content that is really good <laughs> than than kind of get lucky or manipulate my way to ranking with something that actually isn't that great because mm-hmm. um, I quite like knowing that what I've done is pretty good or what work we produce for a client it will stand up um, on its own irrespective of Google in a way. Um, and that's always the goal without a question. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so I'd just like to wrap up this kind of... Um, kind of collection of different experiences which been really great to hear um just by asking you what recommendations you'd have for seos looking to better work with other teams so we spent quite a lot of time looking at um developers but also with with clients and maybe content writers as well um what what's the biggest area you think the seos could improve in um the first one is get your voice heard sooner um and sometimes that isn't you you as a an seo particularly if you're like an seo consultant or an seo kind of exec or manager in a in a business or an agency you you often won't be there at the start but make sure you're there as early as you can is a critical point because if you're sat around the table when the project's kicked off Mm. um you know a lot more about it um, a lot more about the goals the objectives the commercial which really helps it's it makes sure that all of your recommendations are more pertinent and important to the actual goal um, rather than just recommending sort of fairly irrelevant key terms because they look achievable or that they have enough volume um, so that that's kind of a key one and you know broadly speaking the sooner you can get in there the better I mean, the second one I would say is just ensuring that this regularity of small kind of but often touch points. Um, the the uh, some projects can over rely on on an SEO's input, which I I would argue can make worse websites sometimes. You know the, these you know um, the a web designer, a web developer, you know UX person, uh, and and however you know, all of the other different problems. They're all vastly different skill sets. You need all of them ideally to make mm-hmm. the best sites. So kind of for SEO to know where their opinion is needed and where it isn't and more importantly butt out when it isn't that important don't just kind of wade in because you have an opinion um a lot of seos that i work with or have worked with um 
have seen a lot of websites. You know, they every we all know what good looks like. But um, again, it's just be respectful of everyone's kind of own kind of remit within a project. You know, there's as an SEO, I'm not very fond of when a developer tells me that my recommendation isn't going to be that important because it's like, well, that's kind of my decision or my kind of expertise. But equally, if you go in and tell a developer, well, I probably wouldn't have built it like that. Um, unless there's an SEO impacting element on there, they're, they're probably not going to like it. So I think there's, you know, um, know where is your opinion and where it's not. But then, then finally, it's kind of develop a healthy appreciation of everyone else's skills and everyone else's goals. Um, and that's more of a broad kind of just working with people well kind of skill is if you know what motivates everybody else within a project, um, you can work better with them. Um, you've got to, obviously got to use that information. You've got to sort of be emotionally aware sometimes. And, and equally, sometimes you need to know when you, you need to use those as levers to get them to actually do what you want. Um, but it's, um, I still think the vast majority of projects like this, most SEO problems even if they manifest themselves as tech SEO problems, they're, they're not technical in nature. They've come from a person or a people problem or a decision-making issue or a poor business decision right at the start. So um, I think the sooner that an SEO in these kind of projects and situations can understand the wider forces at play rather than just what Google thinks of the website they're looking at, then the, actually the easier that you can manage the whole process. Um, especially when there's third parties, because third parties always leads to conflict of interest, especially when the agency that you're working with that's doing design also offers SEO or you, know, you have overlapping services. That, that always causes unnecessary tension um, that you just need to work it out. But you know, be respectful of your remit, understand what drives people, um, and then ultimately just guide the client by what is best for them and just make it as plain as you can to them. You mentioned that um, projects can become over-reliant on SEOs. What yeah. What is it that you exactly mean by that? Is it um, so that it becomes like less about what's best for the user and what, what the client wants? What, what exactly do you mean? Um, so uh, best examples usually are when um, usually larger companies where they may have launched a SI one, two, three years ago, and it's gone badly. You know, actually, a lot of the websites I work in are, are sort of following botched migrations. Um, and, you know, that whole thing of, you know, once bitten, twice shy. So they'll approach a new project being like, ah, well, we've, we've since learned that our SEOs weren't good enough. We need good SEOs now, um, which is, is kind of fair. But um, what I would argue is that in some instances, that can be the SEO is responsible for designing the sitemap, mm-hmm. sort of full stop. It is the SEO is the one who kind of defines all of the key elements needed within the templates and the visuals. Um, and it could be the SEO is the one that's briefing in every single piece of content. Um, and yeah, you, you're kind of right when you say that, well, the problem is there is that the, the SEO's motivation, you know, as much as it can be what's good for the users, what's good content, et cetera. But the primary driver from an SEO perspective is generating traffic via organic search. Um, which absolutely has its place in every website that needs traffic from organic search. However, um, it can alienate audiences or it can, well, it can do a multitude of things that are negative. You know, you, you may miss some opportunities. You lose innovation. You um, you can lose respect. You can lose credibility. There's, there's so many different kind of factors that, you know, the, there's a reason why that 
there are very few people who can successfully, you know, um, map out a website, do the keyword research, design the visuals, build it, and then launch it and market it. You know, there aren't many people who can do all that really well, and that's because they're just fundamentally different things. Yeah. Um, but it's people's fear from past experiences that can often overly create an alliance on that. You know, oh, wait, actually, if we have our SEO involved through the whole process, we won't have that problem again. You might not, but you might have some other more significant ones that may be harder to recover from later. So it's just it's just maintaining a balance and just being aware. Um, you know, building a website is complicated. Um, it's a lot. You know, it's a lot harder than most people think. It's a lot harder than a lot of SEOs tend to think, which I often find is quite amusing. But it's um, you know, you, you need lots of different people. Um, and draw on that experience um, in its breadth and its depth where you can. Um. Right, I'd like to move on now and just talk about uh, a post that I read of yours a few months back on State of Digital. It was about unconscious incompetence. I think that was the, the right yeah. the right phrase. Um, could you explain a bit about what that is, what that phrase means, and how we as SEOs can um, try and avoid it? Okay, so... Um the I guess the cut and thrust of, of, of what we're sort of talking about there. So the unconscious um, incompetence is um, was based on um, something that Maslow kind of wrote a sort of fairly well-known framework there. But the idea in, in in the post and how I positioned it is um, that it can be it's possible for you to be um, incompetent or you know bad at your job without even sort of comprehending or being aware that that's that's a thing. Yeah. Um, and broadly speaking, you start off in unconscious incompetence, so you don't know that you're not very good. You know, because you haven't learned about it, um, you don't know what you don't it's know. Kind of a, which is you know, a when, blissful when, ignorance. Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and virtually everyone starts their learning journey there. I mean, the word incompetence in here often um, puts people's backs up because yeah. it has a very negative connotations. But you kind of when when you start your learning journey, you start to get better. You kind of go into a conscious incompetence, so you start to you start to become aware of what you have to learn and you become knowing of your lack of knowledge, which is, again, a healthy stage, and that's what you use to structure, you know, your learning and development. Um, then you become sort of um, consciously competent, so um, you have to work hard, but you become good at what you do because, um, you know, you're, you're kind of learning, you're furthering yourself, you're challenging, you're double-checking, and then the next kind of stage is kind of like an unconscious competence where you're just good at it. It's when... Your, your knowledge turns into almost like muscle memory or experience or intuition or gut feel, however however you want to frame it. Now, what I'm kind of suggesting in that piece is that actually people, um, so an SEO in unconscious competence has a risk, um, mainly because, you know, the, the you know, um, ranking makeup uh, for Google is so opaque, things change, documentation that they provide is sometimes wrong and you get misled and all of these elements you, you, you risk becoming incompetent or poor at your job um, without even realizing what's happening mm -hmm. um, and that's it's something part of the blog part of the actual piece came out of I guess my own sort of journey over the last couple of days couple of years sorry where I've, I've been less the practitioner and more of you know heading up teams and training and, and working with staff and my own um, I guess concern or worry maybe that 
I might be coming unconsciously incompetent about things, you know, that ability to not test and validate your ideas, what works, what doesn't work. You know, I've even, um, even, you know, what I've said on this um, today, you know, where don't have more than one H1 on the page. I mean, I, thinking about it, I haven't actively tested what detriment that might add, you know, if we did have suddenly two. Yeah. Um, mainly because that's a negative test, or that's a test where you would expect a ne- negative outcome and finding the right platform or site to actually test something like that on um, is a challenge because not many people are going to willingly um, <laughs> put themselves open to that. But you know, testing and validating your approach and all of the, you know, all of the elements that I teach, you know, the SEO execs here, the workshops that I do, the talks that I do, um, who's checking and validating that? So I'm, I'm, you know, my kind of uh, that blog. I don't want to be like necessarily seen as table banging because I'm not suggesting that everyone else is, you know, unknowingly stupid and I'm not. <laughs> it's probably more that, you know, a little bit of the case that mm, maybe maybe I could be too. But yeah. I actually think that that SEOs or SEO is an industry perhaps isn't that worried about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the appetite to test to check. There are certainly people within the community who are who do it more often than not, and actually we're we're in a very kind of fortunate state that you know the, a lot of the SEO and marketing toolkits out there seem quite heavily invested in that because mm-hmm. if nothing else, it's quite good content marketing too. But <laughs> um, you've got there's often the infrastructures and you know you data and, and ways of testing that most normal people can't do. But um, the knowledge share and the openness around some of this stuff isn't as good as it maybe could be or people just don't the curiosity um you know someone does a study an anecdotal study of 10 websites for example has a finding um there's no peer review there's no following two projects by other people looking to prove or disprove Mm -hmm. you know we're we're, it's not an academic kind of field really although we do have academics within it but um i just i'm all i'm kind of saying is people just need to check their workings a bit more, you know, mm-hmm. um, which can be tough. You know, you don't want to tell a client that you're not sure what it is you're doing um, because that doesn't help you sometimes. But um, just just regular checkpoints. I think the moment you assume that you can't learn anything more is, is when you're really at risk mm-hmm. um, because you'll get surprised, you know. Um, I see people that have been in the industry for one, two, three years and some of the stuff they're coming up with is fantastic. I wish that I was doing that you know, that, that kind of young into it. But the beautiful thing about it is it, your, your kind of tenure within the space isn't always a positive. If anything, it can weigh you down. Mm-hmm. And so what, what's your kind of solution there when, um, so you're moving away from the, the actual kind of execution, what, how, how do you make sure that your knowledge is, is kind of up to scratch? Are you relying on other people and their tests and other people internally um yeah i mean ultimately i still i still do a lot of day-to-day um nowhere near as much as i used to but there, there is a a bit of a conscious decision that you know to remove yourself completely or to remove myself sorry completely from client delivery mm-hmm. would again you know I'd get rusty i guess is the the, the simple sense but um yeah there, there is a, there is a certain degree of learning, monitoring, watching what everyone else is doing, not not because I'm untrusting or I think it's going to go wrong, but, you know, that, um, so for example, just, I mean, to, to some people, this might seem like very common practice, but not everyone does it. And it's just a question, you know, if you do optimize a particular term, a particular page, sorry, for some new keywords, mm-hmm. um, or you go and make some alterations, 
our rank tracking software, you can just add a note on that particular keyword on that day to say what it is you've done. Um, and then it's kind of, okay, monitor it following that happening. Um, what is the the direction of change of that particular ranking relative to the others? You know, if there hasn't been a, a change that's affected everything, what was the resulting change positive or negative? Now, it's not the most perfect way of testing it, but it actually makes sure that we are looking at it. Um, the other side is, you know, looking at something for longer than just a, a few days or maybe in a week after change, because we all see it. You make a few changes to a page, it kind of jumps up, but then it actually could, could potentially sink back down again or, or go worse. And it's just, you know, don't just necessarily assume that the first ranking move you see after an optimization change is, um, is the given it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're, that's like a really kind of simple one. But again, it's just making sure that the team do that from a standard, if, if nothing else, so I can kind of check in and see that. Um, because that is kind of important. I think that at a broader level, it's it's um, you know what you can learn from other websites and what they do it. So you know, looking at some of the more kind of um, SEO visibility kind of tools and software out there that will you know you, you you've got the benefit of analysing what's happened to a website through a terrible migration mm-hmm. without it being one of your own. You know, looking at the changes, you know, using the power of hindsight to see what has happened. Um, I did quite a lot with uh, just digging into WH Smith um, recently when their website dropped out. And mm-hmm. there was quite a lot of stuff that you could kind of see. There was an over-reliance on third-party kind of search tools and a few other bits and pieces that right. didn't help them. And mm-hmm. it did cause kind of the problems. And you can kind of, again, you've got the benefit of hindsight. You've got to be careful. You don't try and um, uh, you don't mix up um, correlation and causation. But um, it, just, just keep an open mind, stay hungry, and, and just... Mm-hmm. A healthy level of skepticism. Um, don't assume that just because it, it's in line with what you'd expect that it's it is what has you know it's doing what is expected. I think we can we can kind of mistake mixed signals quite heavily. Mm-hmm. I, I do like that though. Um, taking lessons from high-profile catastrophic uh, failures. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's quite good. It's, it can be good. The only thing I have learned from doing that is um, sometimes high pro. What you know, sites of that kind of size or visibility often can react and change very, very differently to smaller ones. So um, it does help you see at scale what can happen. Um, and it kind of it, again, of course, it, it creates some really juicy case studies that most people are fearful to commit to. But um, it's monitoring some of the smaller ones as well can be useful too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um- just touching on the SEO tests, that's something that we're really keen to do more of it at Deepcrawl. Um, it's yeah, it's just a matter of um, putting aside the time and kind of resource for it. There's there's all these competing priorities, and um, unfortunately, that's something that kind of gets pushed to the side. But it's yeah, it's it's so valuable, and um, yeah, I I love seeing um, all of that. Uh, the results of different tests on on Twitter, for, but yeah, there there definitely aren't enough people doing that. No, they're not. And actually, if, if I had the chance, I'd be doing more as well. Um, but again, you know, um, the hardest part we found is actually finding suitable test subjects, as it were. Yeah. You know, um, split testing and SEO is something that's been talked about quite sort of heavily on and off for the last few years. But mm-hmm. you know, finding a a test sample. Um, a test sample of pages that have over you know a thousand visits to it that people are willing to do a test on um, is challenging. Um, I know um, Stilled have recently moved our bar along by 
they're changing their statistical model so you can do it on smaller traffic samples but right. until that side of things or um has, has kind of trickled down to the rest of the industry or until you know we start utilizing kind of machine learning a bit better to to help um the testing process it's uh there's still a bit of finger in the wind mm-hmm. <laughs> which isn't great no um Okay, um, I'd like to just kind of bring this this really interesting conversation down um, round to to wrap it up, and I'd just like to ask on a more general level whether there's something maybe I'm thinking of a product or a service that you use um, personally to to make your working life easier. Um, I think the the one that's changed the way I work most significantly um, recently is um, uh, Systrix, um, and that's in the the market the, the visibility side of things. So, actually, the way it uh, tracks Google results, the granularity of the detail that you can get, um, I can kind of pick up the vast majority of websites and get quite a good view on what's happened to that website over the last you know potentially ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, just by kind of interrogating the data. And the more you do it, the quicker it gets. And um, you kind of begin to learn um, a lot about kind of all websites in general and kind of how Google's reacted and changed over it. And for me, just having that data really quickly is probably one of the biggest sort of um, the things that I've benefited from. Um, it's not the only one of its kind out there. You, you know, you've got similar search metrics and a few others that, that all do kind of variations of the theme, but mm-hmm. um, I've just sort of had a particular affinity to this one and, and it does what I need it to. I think there's a, there is such a thing as having too much data, but if you can kind of get it in a way, you can present it in a way that it can inform your decision making um, and, you know, can help you unpick a botched migration in a matter of minutes, then, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's going to change your approach. You will see things that others will miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's a great set of tools, but um, I think you're kind of maybe missing one from from that that bunch. There is there maybe a a more technically focused platform that you'd also care to mention as well. What a crawling based platform? Uh, I'm not I'm not putting any ideas in your head. But. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I, I I'm I'm a multi crawler going the line. <laughs> um, then yeah. Um, yeah, I don't the, know if I can make things work. But. <laughs> uh, there's there's, um, there's the the need for for multiple crawl, multiple crawlers definitely. Um, <laughs> cool. Um, is there anything that you'd like to? Uh, this this is kind of your shameless plug. Is there anything that you'd like to to promote? Maybe a particular cause or anything that you want to draw attention to? Um, yeah. Shameless plug. I yeah. think. Um, there's two actually based on um, some work that I've done with one of my colleagues, Simon, over the last couple of years. Well, the first one is more of one of his projects, but it's really cool. And just check it out because he gets such a buzz from people using it. But he um, recently wrote a connector for um, Data Studio, which um, pulls in Google Trends data, um, which is very cool. Um, it's called G-Trends. There's a, a link on the strategic blog. But um Effectively, you enter in your email address, um, you set up a service that just sends you an API key, um, you uh, authorize the um, connector and data studio, and you can pull in trends data. And you can also blend different um, trends connectors to kind of create blended trend source data sources, which has become kind of a staple of a lot of our own internal reporting. Um, 
and we actually we're working out how to do this but um just give api access that can be used from sheets as well which adds another dimension to keyword research let's put it that way so that's really cool um it's free go use it um i'll definitely be using that, that. we're nearly at a thousand users now which is pretty cool oh, wow. um you know, give something away that's pretty cool for free and people like it, who'd know. Yeah. Um, the, <clears throat> the other one, it's still being kind of worked on in the background. We, we had a bit of a fanfare of it at the start of the year, but it's actually a platform that we're building called Spark, um, mm-hmm. which is built off uh, Cloudflare's edge workers. Um, and essentially, it's, uh, I don't know how familiar you are, the concept of a, sort of a meta CMS, but yeah. it's a way of managing kind of the content and code on the site um, above the server level, so in the cloud, Call it that. It's probably on the edge is the better way of terming it. But um, essentially, that that's a platform that we we need to put more focus and work into. But essentially, um, well, so, uh, Simon Cox recently just released a blog how he used um, Spark to inject um, lazy loading images to a site from the edge without any code change on the website, which is quite beneficial. I'd recent I've written a blog at the start of the year about how to um, inject alt tags based on file names mm-hmm. to images. So you know, a bit rough and ready, but again, how do you add alt tags when there are none? Um, but the potential where that platform could go is a, a, a fairly low barrier to entry split testing platform. Um, we don't know where it's going to go, um, but anyone who wants to test it or, you know, get involved, um, it's it's still kind of pre-beta at the moment, so we're not even charging yet, but it's it's just a case of um, we think it's pretty cool. We think it's a, a way of, you know, testing um, some of these elements and putting to bed some myths. Um, and we got a lot of interest when we launched it, and it's gone a little bit quiet because some of the internal demands. But um, it's something that you know anyone that wants to drop me a message to talk about it further, I'm more than happy to. Is this something similar to what Dan Taylor's been talking about? Yeah, um, pretty, it, very, very close, actually. We've, I've spoke to Dan a fair bit on and off. I think he, he pipped us to the post by about six weeks. Right. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're pretty much the same in principle. I think Dan's brought more kind of features and functionality straight away, um, whereas I think Spark has a little bit more in the way of a UI and a split testing side of things. But, um, actually, he's talking at Brighton uh, or talked at Brighton by the time this will go live. So. Um, I'm sure he would have shared some really cool stuff about that as well. Yeah. We, um, we we try and keep a quite a good relationship with them because again, we're all trying to do the same thing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you? Have you? I really like the name um, Spark, but have you given any more thought to the name? Like Meta CMS doesn't sound quite as good as um, Dan was describing it as SEO on the edge, which sounds like oh, far more edge. far more kind of sexy <laughs> and dangerous. So um, it yeah. Does. Until someone asks you to, to say what is it, and you go, well, it's, it's changes made on the edge. It's like, oh, so it's new kind of. Yeah, we, we, we all got quite um, excited by the, the term, and actually, I think the industry settled down quite quickly because it's uh, almost business as usual, just by a slightly different means. But right. um, no, it is, it is exciting. I think actually, the you know, the whole kind of not just for SEO, what, what edge work can do, um, you combine that kind of platform with kind of machine learning, with analytics, with kind of crawling technology, you can. You know, it, it's not a million miles away to suggest that you could have an edge platform that optimizes the website as it goes based on real-time data that's fed in. So, you know, I don't know if any SEOs are fearful of their jobs, but that would be one route to make SEOs jobless. So oh no! Not my, yeah, don't bet on me. <laughs> well, we'll blame you when when we're all out of work. <laughs> well, I don't know. That could could be quite good for Deep Crawl. Just saying. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, it could work out actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be checking out both of those, um, particularly the um, Data Studio with bringing in Google Trends. Yeah, I, I think, is it your colleague, Hannah? I, I keep on shouting out her keyword cannibalization dashboard. Um, really, really appreciate that. Um, are you familiar with this? Or am, am yeah, I yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, no, I work, work with Hannah quite a lot yeah. um, on, on that and other data studio things. I think we're, there's almost a joke now, um, not just in this office, but a load of other people that we sort of speak to and work with is, um, is you know, you can kind of t make a day studio out of anything. But it's that dashboard and a few other things that we're building. We're using day studio almost more in a slightly kind of, not really a software kind of age, but we sort of um, report on keyword research and other things using Data Studio, just the visualizations for kind of filters and just making things more palatable. It's a lot of potential in that platform to do kind of really complex things really easily. I mean, obviously you've done a lot of work on it yourself, so yeah, we, I'm, I'm, we're all really excited with what else can you can bring from that. <laughs> I'm I'm really um, trying to hold myself back here because I, th I think we could go for another hour just talking about um, all the ways well, that you're yeah. using Data Studio. But um, yeah, I think we'll call things a day there. Um, yeah, thank you very much for for joining us, Chris, and sharing your experiences. It's been really great, and um, yeah, I look forward to to seeing you soon. No, it's been great. Thanks for having me. It's, um, I've enjoyed talking about it. Cool. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks. A massive thank you to Chris for being such a knowledgeable guest and sharing his experience from working in search. If you want to hear more from Chris, you can find him on Twitter at ChrisGreen87. And you can also find more of me at Sam underscore Marsden on Twitter. If you want to share our audible adventures with the world, then make sure that you add the hashtag open underscore dialogue. I'd also like to give a shout out to BMO Studios who are based in Hackney over here in London, who make Open Dialogue sound as good as it does. You're going to be able to find a written recap of this podcast over on the Deepcrawl blog by visiting deepcrawl.com forward slash podcast. And you can also sign up to our mailing list and be notified when we release new episodes every other week. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Open Dialogue on the podcasting platform that you use. Thank you again for listening to Open Dialogue and I look forward to you joining us again for the next episode. See you soon.